Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'm, uh, my name is Mendel, and I work with our security team, and this morning I'll be reading from Acts 14, 21 through 23. After they had preached the gospel in that town and made disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith, and by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Praise God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning, Father, to hear your word, to worship you, Father. And right now we just ask that you continue to, to lead to guide every aspect of this worship. May you be glorified, please, with our worship offering, Lord, and encourage our hearts, our soul, our minds as we encounter you and your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, you may have a seat. This is the last week we're having in this series, Moment to Movement. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go and turn to Acts chapter 14, which Mendel just read for us. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Hope in Hardships. Hope in Hardships. And just thanks for Andy last week of just doing a great job of leading us through Acts chapter 13, the first few verses there. And as we saw is that the local church in Antioch, by following the Lord's leading, obedience to the Holy Spirit's speaking, sent out Barnabas and Paul with one main aim, one main mission, as to make disciples. And just before we, as we go there, just, again, the why behind the what, because we hear, you need to go make disciples, go make disciples, this church is big on go and make disciples, because one, Jesus commanded it, but others' lives absolutely depend on it. This is why we go preach the gospel and disciple those who believe. Peter says in Acts 4, verse 12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And it begs the question, saved from what? God's wrath is a real thing because he is just God. He'd be completely unjust to leave sin and disobedience unpunished. So he does punish sin and disobedience. That is called God's wrath. John 3.36 says, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. The one who believes has eternal life. But, he goes on to say, The one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Remains as essential because that's what we were born into, this sin nature that we drift towards sin. And when we sin, God's wrath remains unless something is done about it. And that something isn't your good works, isn't some good deeds. It is Jesus, his finished work on the cross. This is what just influences how we see Jesus' prayer in the garden moments before he would be murdered on the cross. When he says, my father, he's praying, my father, if it is possible... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And this cup he's referring to is God's wrath. God's wrath being poured out in full for the sake of all those who would believe. In other words, he says, it seems like an awful waste of my blood if, as Oprah says, all roads lead to heaven. 
Awful waste of my blood. If everyone is inherently good anyway, if good intentions were good enough, if someone could just obey the Ten Commandments, align your chakras, reincarnate enough time, times, obey the five pillars, it would seem like awful waste of my blood if we could do these things and have the same outcome, forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Yet, he says, not as I will, but as you will. And so we know how this pl- plays out is that God's will was there is no other way to have your relationship restored with God that you were created to have in the first place except through faith alone in Christ alone. So Jesus would give his life on the cross so that you and I could have life living with and living for him. I think you know this and we need to be reminded that when you're living for Christ, you will encounter conflict with the culture. Whatever culture you're in, when you're living for Jesus, you will have conflict. It's something about Jesus that causes conflict. If you just say, I believe in God, people are good with that. If you just leave it at a high level, yeah, I follow God. The culture's fine with that. You can believe whatever God is, fine. But when you say, Jesus is the way, conflict. The conflict is in Jesus. It's exactly what Jesus promised. When he's speaking to his followers, he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. He says, however, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. We need to let that sink in. Because we see this as we drift towards looking like the world, that's fine. The world welcomes you in. There's two people groups in the world. Those of the world and those of Jesus. He says, if you're of me, if you're following me, the world will hate you because it's at conflict. And 1 John 1.19 says exactly why. He says, we know that we are of God, meaning we're not of the world. We are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. The whole world is under the influence of the evil one. And this is why there's conflict around Jesus. And whoever follows Jesus, you will experience conflict. And our life, as you know, is filled with highlights and hardships. Christian, your life will be filled with highlights and hardships. Some may refer to this as Sunday and Monday, right? It's interesting, as we see Paul and Barnabas go into this missionary journey, this first whole chapter into chapter 13 and 14, we see highlights and hardships connected to each other. If you have your Bibles, let me go through this real quick. But we see in Acts 13, 44, this highlight, it says, as they go preaching the gospel, it says the, whole, the following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. This is a God movement. It's a highlight. Praise God. The very next verse. Verse 45 says, but, uh-oh, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Right away, you see this highlight and immediately hardship. In verse 49, it says, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Highlight. In verse 50, but... The Jews incited prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district, 
immediate hardship. In Acts chapter 14, verse 1, it says, A great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. A tremendous highlight, movement of God. Verse 2, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And it goes on to say, There was an attempt made to mistreat and stone them, which made them flee to the surrounding countrysides. Then verse 7 says, They continued preaching the gospel. So as they went, they continued preaching the gospel. And as they went in verse, into 14, verse 18, we see another highlight that God was doing amazing things for Paul and Barnabas, so much so that the town, the people around them, the crowd started worshiping them as gods. And they said, stop, do not do that. In verse 18, it says, even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. They were worshiping them because they seen them moving in the power of God. That's verse 18. And immediately, verse 19, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they, were won over, they won over the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. These crowds went from worshiping him to trying to kill him thinking he was dead. It says, after the disciples gathered around him, he got up, went into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas and to, for Derby. Let's go through this because this is life. Maybe not to this extreme, but maybe. For many Christians around the world, this is the reality. But life is filled with highlights and hardships. And what do you do through all that? What would Paul and Barnabas do once they left for Derby? They just went through all this mess, all this disaster, all these hardships just be, for being faithful. What well, brings us to verse 21? It says, after they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples. Here they fled. Paul was almost killed. It didn't stop them from proclaiming the gospel because the gospel is the power of salvation. People's lives depend on it, so they were risking their own. And I love that Paul, because Paul makes our invisible faith visible. What faith looks like is what we see in Paul. Paul wasn't some super Christian, he was just a Christian, following Jesus. That's what that looks like. If I could define faith and make it a little bit more, I guess, my definition of faith, if you follow this, would sound something like this. Reliance on the Lord resulting in resilience when facing persistent resistance in this life. I'm going to say it again. Reliance on the Lord resulting in resilience when facing persistent resistance in this life. Because that's exactly what we're facing, persistent resistance. Resistance, but what do you do with that? Do you rely on yourself, your own strength, your own abilities, or are you relying on the Lord? Because that is the only thing that lasts, and that's exactly what they were doing. And Paul must have been completely impossible to deal with when it comes to those who were counteracting what he was doing for Jesus. Because over and over again, you see them demanding, stop telling people about Jesus. And Paul's response to live as Christ. I can do nothing else. To live is Christ. Well, fine, we will kill you. That's fine. To die is gain, right? 
impossible. Matter of fact, it says to be at away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. So kill me if you want to. Well, then fine, we'll just put you in prison, right? Great. I'll proclaim the gospel and we'll see your guards get saved. Like impossible to do with. But I love it because this is what faith looks like. And it's not that Paul was fearless. I think that's a misconception we have. Man, this guy had no fear. It is not true. But he was courageous. He wasn't fearless, but he was courageous. Let me ask you this. Do you know what the main weapon, rather, the main enemy of faith is? Fear. The main enemy of faith is fear. Do you know what the main weapon against fear is? Faith. That's it. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's not from God. That's fearful feelings is not from God. It says, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And I love that because when you start feeling fearful, you know you've got to take every thought captive to obedience of Christ and know that's not from God. So what do you do with that? You rely back on your faith, now, who your faith is in. Courage is defined as mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, or withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. This is exactly what faith produces. Confidence in Christ over your circumstance cultivates courage. But we have to remind ourselves because so many times the circumstance can dictate and shift our faith. Confidence in Christ over your circumstance begins to cultivate courage. Because, you know, as you encounter, as you endure the circumstance, Christ is the one who goes for you. God's the one that's fighting for you. He is where your power is. And ultimately, he's still ruling and reigning right now. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture comes out of the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9. I love this because here Joshua, this military commander, was now called by God to lead the nation of Israel. And if you know anything about the nation of Israel, they were stubborn, hard-headed, selfish, self-seeking, rebellious. Kind of like parenting. Anybody? Amen? Sorry, the kids aren't in here. You guys can do that. And here Joshua was called to lead this people, a hard people, a difficult people, to and through difficult areas that are filled with conflict. So you think Joshua had a little fear? He absolutely did. Because you see this phrase repeated several times to Joshua or in front of Joshua. And God says this. He says, haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. I want that to sink in. Because he didn't say, Joshua, be strong and courageous because you are awesome. Look at how able you are. I mean, you're a military commander. You are equipped, you're ready, you're gifted, go do it and depend on yourself. That's not why he said, do not be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous. He says, because I, the Lord, am with you wherever you go. And you know what that word wherever means? In the Hebrew, yeah? Everywhere. Wherever. Wherever. Monday morning. 
wherever you go. I mean, we, we forget this, so I'm, I'm convinced. I know I forget this. I'm convinced you forget this too. God is with you wherever you go, whatever circumstance you go through. And this is what makes Paul and Barnabas so difficult to deal with. Their confidence in Christ over whatever circumstance they would go through would just compel them to climb back into the conflict over and over and over again. That's what we see in verse 21. It says, They returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter in the kingdom of God. Why do you think Paul and Barnabas would risk their lives going back into these areas of resistance to encourage those who are believers by telling them it was necessary to experience hardships? Why would they do that? Well, I'm convinced the believers in that area were experiencing hardships and were asking themselves, is this all really necessary? Like, you ever been there? Those why God moments? Like, God, I'm, I'm a good Christian. I go to church once a month, right? I'm doing all the right things. I read the Bible occasionally. I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but we, we go through these things. Like, I'm doing all the right things, Lord. I'm, I'm following you, and yet hardship after hardship seems to be happening. And they would go back through strengthening disciples to encourage them to endure, to endure, to endure. And the point is, life will heave all kinds of hardships at you, as a Christian. Again, John, 1 John 1.19, the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, but you, Jesus says, are not of the world. You are at odds with the world. But the reminder of James chapter 1, verse 12, it says this, blessed is the one who endures trials. That blessed is happy. Blessed not because you're going through trials, because you're enduring trials. This is blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. As I was thinking about this, I think about marathoners and triathletes, things I have no desire to ever to entertain doing. I think those people are half crazy in a good way. But what makes them train and finish their race well. It's because the whole time they're keeping their eyes on the prize. And think about as you run a marathon, you can't even see the prize, but you know it's down there somewhere as you run. And you run, I have no idea because I've never done this. As you run and run and run and run, right? That's what they do, run. But they know it's coming. And so what keeps them going is their eyes on the prize. They know they train for this. So they train hard, keeping their eyes on the prize. They're running, keeping their eyes on the prize. They keep going and they endure and they endure. And their body's shutting down, but they endure because they're keeping their eyes on the prize. And this point of enduring is really one I want to hold on just for a second. Because how do you have hope in hardships? Well, it takes endurance. You have to endure. So it begs the question, how do you endure? I mean, some of you all are going through some hard things. Some of you all have been through some hard things, and some of us are going to go through some hard things. How do you endure in the hardships? As many of you know, I did a number of years in and with the Air Force, and one of the tra main training tactics that the Air Force uses for its members is training by acronyms. So I love a good acronym. So I think you can learn well from acronyms. And so if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. If not, we'll send it out into the notes in the way update tomorrow. 
or you can go back online and watch this. But we're going to use ENDURE, E-N-D-U-R-E as an acronym, to lead us in how do you endure. So go with me here for a second. So the E, how do you endure? First, embrace God's purpose. Embrace God's purpose. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. This is exactly what Jesus, Jesus looked through the coming problems and pain on the cross to the purpose that God would accomplish. How do you endure? Sweating, blood, praying passionately, but he endured the pain and torture by looking through it to the purpose that God would accomplish. This is a reminder that the pain you experience doesn't stop God's purpose from being accomplished. I don't know what that pain is. The pain you experience does not stop God's purpose from being accomplished. So the E is embrace God's purpose. The N is nurture your spiritual roots. Nurture your spiritual roots. We were talking about how do you endure. Nurture your spiritual roots. When Jesus gives this parable about the seeds and the sower, he explains it in Luke 8. Verse 15, he says, But the seed is the good ground. These are the ones, having heard the word, with an honest and good heart, hold on to it by enduring, produce fruit. If I can say it another way, spending time in God's word feeds and strengthens your spiritual roots. Holding on to it. So nurture your spiritual roots. Leads us to D. D, direct your focus on Jesus. Direct your focus on Jesus. Many of you may know of or heard of Corey Tinboom. Corey Tinboom was arrested by the Nazis along with her whole family for hiding Jews during the Holocaust. Corey was imprisoned and eventually sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. After being released on December 31st, 1944, Corey would go on to establish a post-war home for other camp survivors. She would go on to travel around the world proclaiming God's forgiveness and the need for reconciliation. But she has this amazing quote that I believe will resonate with us this morning. Corey Tinboom says, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Man, if that's not the truth. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look it in, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest because of who he is. And her experience shaped this statement. And I believe God's word shaped this statement because this is exactly what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews verse 12, or chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2 says, Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping 
our eyes on Jesus. So we direct our focus on Jesus. Which brings us to you. Use your hardships to help others. Use your hardships to help others. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5, says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. This is a reminder that great witness can come out of great weakness. God can turn your pain into a greater purpose. And we go back to the statement over and over again in the life of this church, but there is nothing wasted under God's sovereignty. He is not shaken by any of your circumstances. He's still all-powerful, ruling and reigning, and that totally drives how we encounter and endure everything we go through. So we use our hardships to help others in time. I just, I just want to add on to that because I, there's times that you're going through something and you just need to be ministered to, and that's a right response because we deal with things that are hard. But there's going to be a time as you continue to receive God's comfort that God will use that to be able to comfort someone else. Comes in time. It's not wasted. Leads us to R. R, rely on God's power. So how do we endure? We're going through these things. R, rely on God's power. Colossians 1, chapter 11 says that we're being strengthened with all power according to his being God's glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. This is the power that we're receiving by God himself. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, here Paul is begging God to release this difficulty that he's experiencing, God's response is that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Just a reminder that God likes to flex in the midst of your fight. That's when he shows up. And some of you guys have been fighting for a long time. And this is where the endurance comes in, because some of us can fight for a minute, fight for a day, but now multiply that by years, fighting the same fight over and over again. Some of you are fighting health ailments over and over again and filling the grind. And this is a call to endure, to endure, relying on God's strength. There's no wasted time in the purpose that you have, even in the midst of the pain. God flexes in the midst of our fight. And finally, E. So not only does God like to flex in the midst of our fighting, but God also blesses. So expect, the E, expect God to bless you. Faith is expecting God to move and do more than imaginable, even in the face of the seemingly impossible. That's what faith is. Just because it's impossible in our eyes doesn't mean it's impossible with God. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, Now to him, that is to God, who is able to do above and beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to God be the glory. 
Again, James 1.12 that we saw a minute ago, blessed is the one who endures trials. And when I think about blessing, one of the greatest blessings is seeing God show up, show off, and even show out in the seasons of suffering. I mean, have you experienced that, going through suffering, but you see in the midst of all the garbage and the hurt and the mess that you have to go through, God is still showing up and showing off. He's very present in any of all things that we go through. And this is a reminder, your pain doesn't have to be without purpose. Yet, to see the purpose potential through your pain, I believe, biblically speaking, we need two things. Number one, we need the power that's provided by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So how do you do this? You need the power that comes by way of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Peter says in Acts 2, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of the Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every person that comes to God by way of Jesus, by faith alone, by his grace alone, is not only saved from God's wrath, but is given abundant life, eternal life, and has God's presence literally dwelling inside of us. Jesus told his followers in John 14, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, another comforter to be with you forever. Forever is a long time. Have you ever thought about that? So we're hearing these very definite statements. Forever. God's presence will be with you forever. He will go with you through whatever. That's a lot of places and a lot of time. But I think we forget that God's with us wherever and forever and it starts at the moment that you put your faith in Christ Jesus. And it proves God's word to be true as we see God speaking in Isaiah 41.10. God says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. No the emphasis there is God. Not, we can't even hold on to him. He's holding on to us. I don't know if your life feels like it's out of control and you can't hold on to a thing. That's when you got to realize that God is holding on to you. So we need the power of God's presence. And number two, we need to be propped up by God's people. How do you do these things? How do you endure? Power of God's presence, propped up by God's people. Paul writes to the local church in Galatia. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Carry one another's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. We need one another to carry one another's burdens, but to carry your burden, you also have to have people around you to share your burden with. We need one another. I grew up in California, I spent several years in Northern California in the midst of the redwood trees, and you see these gigantic trees, some 300 feet tall, some known to be about 2,000 years old, they say. So these tall, old trees, but what's amazing about the redwood trees is that they have an extremely shallow root system. Extremely shallow. So the, as big as these trees are, these root systems should not be able to hold them up. So it begs the question, how can they withstand all the strong winds, the fires, the earthquakes, the storms, the floodings that life throws at them, also known as hardships? How do they survive? 
Well, their root system extends out, though shallow, about 100 feet. And what it does, it interlocks with the other redwoods around them, literally supporting one another up. What a great picture of what the church should be. Because you cannot do it alone, and you were not meant to. We literally need one another. Hardships will happen, but you were not meant to endure them yourself, nor can you. You were meant to depend on the power that comes from Christ, and you were meant to depend on the presence of your local church. And this is what we see in verse 23, is a local church is being established. When they, heard, when they had appointed elders in them from every, for every church, prayed and fasted, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And you see this church planting movement was ignited at the moment of the church at Antioch chose obedience to the Holy Spirit's leading by sending out Paul and Barnabas. And this is an extremely crucial moment in history because this is the only reason that you are here today. Because of the faithfulness of a few, faithfulness of a church, and it exploded into a church planting movement by God's design. These Christ-centered communities would eventually be established to encourage Christians to endure. So how do we respond to this? The emphasis is that we're enduring because we have hope even though you're in hardships. Your hope doesn't fail or fade. So I'm going to close with this prayer here in a minute. I'm going to ask the, the band to come back up. and Like we do, we're going to have time to response and we're going we're gonna to sing. We're going to worship, but that worship for you can look at it a variety of different ways. For some, it may be just sitting while we're singing, just praying, talking with God as your Father. Maybe you need to grab a couple of people around you and just pray for what God's leading and weighing on your heart. Maybe for the first time you've seen that, man, I am distressed and I am depressed. And I don't have rest. Can I just tell you Jesus is your rest? Jesus is calling you to come and rest in him. Lay your burdens and your fears and anxieties before him because he loves you, he's a good father, and he's forever faithful. Holding on to you with his righteous right hand. We're going to have a prayer team to the side, and we'd love to pray with you, pray for you. And if you're starting this faith journey, we'd definitely love to walk alongside you. As you continue your faith journey, we're here to walk alongside you. We're a church that literally exists to carry one another's burdens, to build each other up, to strengthen us as we endure by encouraging us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. But let me read to us Romans 15, verse 13, as a closing prayer. So I want you to just pray with it through this with me as I read it. It says, Now may God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, that's what we pray right now that you fill us and lead us and encourage us by the Holy Spirit. Fill us with all hope because you're the God of hope. And so let our hope continually be in you and not anything that we go through. Give us the hope that we need to endure and to go through the hardships that we'll encounter. 
Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness and the relationship that you have given us through the sacrifice of Jesus alone. Father, continue to increase our faith. Decrease our fear. Help us to run to you with all of our burdens, anxieties, fears, stresses. And help us to rest in you because you're the God of rest. We thank you, Father. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.